Hey, I'm Karen, and together with my husband, I spent over a decade researching and learning and building our small farm through lots of trial and error, successes and failures. I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture to help our farm business, and now I want to pass all that knowledge on to you. Because I firmly believe that self-reliance is empowering and that everyone, whether you've got a five-acre plot in the country, a half-acre lot in suburbia, or a windowless room in a downtown apartment, should just grow something. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. I hope this week has been treating you well, especially in the garden. This Focal Point Friday, I want to talk about something I think is pretty prevalent, especially on social media, but really in any sort of promotional or educational space like YouTube or podcasting, when it comes to teaching people how to garden. There is this tendency, I think, to only show the beautiful parts. I mean, it makes sense, right? As someone who wants to help people learn all about gardening, I want you to see all the great things in my gardens. So you think, wow, okay, she knows what she's talking about. Look at that garden. And then maybe you'll lean further into what I'm teaching you. But I'm finding that can be very detrimental, both for you as a gardener trying to learn as much as you can for your garden, and for me as someone wanting to share my knowledge and what I've learned, but also me as a gardener. If you follow this podcast over on Instagram, you may have seen a few posts in my stories about some of the issues we've faced in our gardens this year, but I don't think I've done too many actual posts in my feed about it. I mean, who wants to see a bunch of pictures of hornworms and armyworms in my tomatoes or the early blight that hit our potatoes or the poor, sad cucumbers, squashes, and zucchinis that have had to be planted three times? We all want to see the good stuff, right? the gorgeous bok choy that flourished for much longer this season than usual, the perfectly cheerful lemon cucumbers, the strong stands of colorful heirloom carrots. That's what we want to see, not the ugly stuff. But the ugly stuff is still there, and it's rampant this year. And what I'm realizing is that if I don't show the ugly stuff, how are other people going to know that failures in their garden are completely normal? See, everything I talk about on this podcast and the tips and tricks that I post on Instagram are what we all should be doing under ideal circumstances in our gardens. When to plant, how far apart, how much to amend the soil using mulch, drip irrigation, compost, soil testing, pest prevention, regular weeding, all those things and so much more are what happens when you can devote all the time you need to your garden with no interruptions and no setbacks. (laughs) But does that actually jive with real life? No. We have jobs, partners, kids, pets, social engagements, extracurricular activities, illnesses, events, and so much more that get in the way of that ideal garden schedule. If you managed to get half of what needed to be done in your garden this year, I'm impressed. In fact, I'm actually impressed pretty regularly. Part of what I do during the week for our farm is make deliveries to people's homes. I visit many of the same homes week after week, and in some cases, their gardens are right where I can see them. I love seeing their gardens every single week as the season progresses. I can be surprised every week as I come back and see the jump in the size of the plants or the sudden flush of blooms or that surprise pumpkin plant vining out of their compost pile left over from last year's fall decorations. 
I'm routinely super impressed, especially this year, with how well these folks have done to manage the myriad of pests and diseases that have come our way in this area. I have garden consulting clients, too, whose homes I visit mid-season to check up on how their garden is doing, and inevitably, they've done an outstanding job of managing their tasks. But does that mean their gardens are perfect? Nope. They still have pests, they still have weeds, they still have disease, they still have plants that haven't performed well or at all. But all I'm seeing standing from the outside is everything that has gone right. It's not until you dig deep into that garden that you see all the problems. And that's normal. And that's okay. And it's inevitable. We can't control Mother Nature in the garden no matter how much we try. We can do some manipulation and we can try to work with her as much as possible, but in the end, we are not the ones in control. You can do everything right, complete every task, keep up on all the weeding and the pruning and the trellising and the fertilizing, and still have plants that curl up and die on you, or pests that eat all your fruit, or soil that doesn't hold the right level of moisture. And that's nothing to be ashamed of. There's also nothing to be ashamed of if you weren't able to complete all those tasks or any of them. It doesn't make you any less of a gardener. It makes you human. There are no perfect gardens. There are no perfect gardeners. There is no garden perfection, no matter what you think you see in someone else's space. I will give you a perfect real life example. I have a couple of customers who have the most beautiful flower gardens I have ever seen. They've basically turned their entire property into their own botanical garden, and it's amazing. Beautiful perennial flowers and shrubs, annuals tucked in here and there, sculptures, different heights and colors, everything you would see in a professional landscape at a botanical garden with dozens of workers they have on their property. It's stunning. And I get to see it every single week when I deliver to them, and I get to drive through and see all the changes of the seasons. Now, last year, they had to have a huge tree removed. It was an oak, I think, uh, in the back of their property because it was diseased and dying. Now, this area was heavily shaded for years and home to all kinds of shade-loving perennials like hostas and the like that just don't do well in full sun. Well, once this giant tree was removed, they had to scramble to pull up all those plants and get them moved elsewhere because the area was now flooded with full sun. They did everything they could to get the plants moved quickly, but they still lost some of them, and I saw the poor burnt-up plants as I drove through over the next few weeks. They had done everything they could to help that tree, but still needed to have it removed. Trust me, these folks spend hours and hours in these gardens every single day, and they were still affected by something completely out of their control. Now, fast forward to this year. They replaced the tree with a beautiful gazebo, moved some of the shade-loving plants back into the area, created walking paths, and it's just stunning, just like the rest of the place. And once again, I've gotten to enjoy the progression of the season by watching everything bloom and flourish as I come by each week. I was just speaking to them this week about how things were going on the farm and the struggles the weather and the pests have provided this year, and they couldn't have agreed more. They've been having the exact same problems with many of their plants, which, of course, took me by surprise because I hadn't seen a single inkling of that as I drove through for five minutes each week. I mean, 
Of course, I didn't see it as I drove through for five minutes each week. Duh. I wasn't working in those gardens down at the ground level, thinning out the dead and dying leaves or the plants or handpicking bugs off of them or constantly watering because the ground was so dry it was cracking around the new plants. I wasn't dealing with any of their disease issues that came with the early super wet weather, and I didn't see any of it. And I told the one customer how impressed I am and how beautiful it all looks and how it is, it really is, the highlight of my route each week. And she sighed and she thanked me and she said she was very glad that that's all I saw was the beauty. It's all about our perspective. I know that there are folks that drive down our road and can see the home garden out front in the raised beds and see the bright marigolds and the lush tomato plants and the loaded jalapeno plants and think, wow, that garden looks great as they continue on their way down the road. But did they notice the dead and dying lemon cucumber plants in the very next bed? Or the tomato plants one bed over that were hit so hard by early blight that they're just now getting to recover? or the strawberry beds that have grass weeds popping up in between the plants and disease spots all over their leaves. Likely not. The gardener is the only one that sees that. And that's what we get on social media and YouTube and instructional videos and podcasts. The good stuff. And it can make us feel like nobody else has the ugly stuff. It's just in our garden. I promise they do, despite what you may see. And this doesn't just apply to our garden perfectionists, the ones who get all the tasks done and then some. If you're a gardener who didn't do all the right things this year, there's no shame in that either. Just because you had the intention of gardening and weren't able to complete all the tasks the garden asked of you doesn't make you any less of a gardener. You tried. And you know what? Even if you didn't try, you're still not a bad gardener. (laughs) If you bought the plants and got them in the ground and then just decided you didn't have the wherewithal to mess with it, that's fine too. Just because you didn't have the time or the inclination to attack those tasks in the gardens doesn't mean you're a horrible gardener. It just means it wasn't your priority this season. So why am I talking about this? Well, I've had one or two or several mini meltdowns this year over our gardens. Now, yes, it might be a little more stressful because we make our living off these gardens, but trust me when I say it wasn't dollars I was worried about as crop after crop gave us nothing but problems this year. All I saw was the hours and hours of work I had put into starting those plants from seed indoors, growing them and tending to them in the basement, moving them out to harden off, getting them planted tending and pruning and trellising and mulching, improving the soil, feeding the plants, using all kinds of tricks to keep them free of pests and disease, and still watching them slowly die right before my eyes without hardly any harvest to speak of. Or planting succession after succession of plants, trying to beat the pest cycle or the disease cycle, only to land those plants smack dab in the middle of it over and over again. And you know what? I felt like a total failure and a fraud, if I have to be honest. I mean, how can I be sharing and consulting and teaching all about gardening if I can't even get my cucumber plants to produce for longer than three weeks? 
When I say I have shed blood, sweat, and tears in those gardens this year, I absolutely mean it. More tears than I've ever shed over some daggone plants. But again, we do this for a living. And we've had plenty of harvests throughout the season, and the lights are still on, and we're not bankrupt yet, so obviously we're doing something right out here this year, and I'm not a total failure or a fraud. It's just in the moment, it's really difficult to get perspective on things in the garden when it feels like so much is failing. I've heard it from gardeners all season long this year. My such and such plant is not doing this or not doing that, and it's just been such a hard year. And I have to ask them about the rest of the garden for them to get a little perspective that, oh, well, yeah, there is something that did well for them. And yes, there were successful harvests. And yes, they have plans to plant some more things for the fall. And it improves that perspective a little bit and reminds them that there are ups and downs in the garden every year, and that's normal, and it doesn't mean they're a terrible gardener. But What if your garden has been a complete and total failure this year? I've had several folks tell me they got so frustrated and overwhelmed that they tore out their garden and they are done for the season and they may not plant another one next year. Well, in that case, I ask them why they started gardening. And this, my friends, is the fastest way to get yourself out of a garden funk. Remember why you started a garden in the first place. Whether this is your first year or your 50th, you likely started with a purpose in mind. Maybe you started during the worst of the pandemic because you suddenly found yourself home more often and wanted something to occupy your time. Did it work? Did you enjoy it? Is that why you are here in year two of your garden now? Or did you start because you wanted to help supplement your family's food budget? Have you managed to whittle away at the fresh produce section of that food bill? Have you gone even further and preserved some of your harvest for the winter and then further decreased that budget? Did you start to uh, maybe spend some time with your kids doing something outside or your grandkids maybe? Or did it just seem like the thing to do because you bought your first house and everybody's supposed to have a backyard garden, right? It doesn't matter what your particular reason is. You have or had a reason. My reason had absolutely nothing to do with becoming a farmer or making a living. Mine had everything to do with a school lunch boycott. There's not much better than looking out first thing on a sunny morning, gazing at my garden beds over a hot cup of coffee. As U.S. Marines, my husband and I drank a lot of coffee. As farmers, let's just say we should probably drink more water. The coffee we drink these days still has a military tie. We have freshly roasted coffee shipped to us every few weeks from Black Rifle Coffee Company. Black Rifle is a veteran-owned business, just like ours, but they serve up premium coffee and ship it around the world. When you join their coffee club, your chosen brew is roasted, packaged, and shipped free to your door on whatever schedule you choose. And with every purchase, they're giving back to military veterans and active duty, law enforcement, and first responders. Ready to check them out? Go to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee to save 20% when you join the Black Rifle Coffee Club. No commitments. Cancel any time. That's justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee for 20% off your coffee club subscription. So many years ago, I at one point found myself as a single mother with three kids, raising them on a low-ranking enlisted military salary. It's not much. Trust me. 
My income was low enough that my children qualified for the free and reduced lunch program. At the time, I was just trying to make ends meet, keep the lights on, and a roof over our heads. So I swallowed my pride and got the kids on the program. They were fed breakfast at school for, I think it was 25 cents a piece, and lunch for around 65 cents a piece. So essentially, five days a week, my three kids were getting breakfast and lunch for less than $14 a week. The money I saved by not having to buy a week's worth of yogurt and fresh fruit or sandwich bread or lunch meat, cheese, or even just peanut butter and jelly, plus drinks and snacks, was money that I could put back into the household budget for things like the water bill. So for most of that school year, it worked out until it didn't. See, sometime at the beginning of the calendar year, so after the halfway point for the school year, my middle daughter began to complain that the school lunches weren't very good and that they just seemed to be getting worse. She complained that the lettuce and the salads were wilted, the burgers were dry, and the pizza was so greasy you could pour the grease off of each slice, and that the only sides were grainy mashed potatoes or french fries or the occasional little pile of pale green beans or corn. I mean, I could totally see where she was coming from, especially since she was my one that always ate fruits and vegetables from like day one. She still is. But I asked her to sort of deal with it, and I'd try to make her home meals much better than what she got at school. And I did try. Fresh produce is notoriously more expensive than boxed snacks, and that's a concern when you're on a restricted budget. But I planned out my shopping trips according to what was on sale and worked with coupons on the boxed goods to save more towards the fresh stuff. And that worked for a while. One day in late spring, that same daughter came home from school and proudly announced that she and her friends were sick and tired of the greasy, crappy food they were getting for their school lunches and that they were starting a boycott. They had all gotten together and decided that they would pack their lunches at home and not give the school any more money until they improved the situation. And could we please go to the store to get the things she'd need to pack her own lunch? I was all at once super proud of my daughter and her friends and super concerned that I wouldn't be able to fulfill her wish. I wanted to do my very best to help her and I didn't want her singled out from her friends because her mom couldn't afford for her to pack her own dang lunch. So I agreed. So long as she promised, she would actually pack it. No waiting to the last minute and no asking me to do it. And she also had to agree to me having control over the contents. There weren't going to be any Lunchables or prepackaged snacks. She would make a sandwich, add a piece of fruit or a vegetable, something sweet or salty as a snack, and she could buy milk in the lunch line. And she agreed. Now, thankfully, this was only a few weeks before the end of the school year, and I did manage to make it work, but my daughter actually enjoyed the fresh parts of her lunch so much that she started putting more of those in her lunches and less of the standard PB&J or whatever other sandwich was being packed. And so from there sprung the idea of growing a garden in our backyard, something I could do to either supplement what she was taking for lunches or to supplement what we were having with our dinners. Since many of the fresh items she was taking and that the other two kids ate after school was fruit, many of which don't grow in Missouri, like bananas, or that I wasn't in a position to grow, like plums, I opted to support the evening meals with our garden. Now, I had helped my mom in the garden as a very small child, but after we moved when I was about eight, we didn't have a vegetable garden. 
I hadn't even thought about gardening as an adult. So having no clue what I was doing, I found a spot in the backyard I could cordon off with some lattice, went to the store and picked some seeds off the shelf, and proceeded to plant cucumbers, zucchini, green beans, and a few other things, all way too close together, all jumbled up in the same spot. No mulch, no compost, just me and some seeds and a garden hose. And you know what? That garden produced. We had cucumbers climbing up and over the trellis and out into the yard. We had zucchini the size of baseball bats. I can't even remember what else we pulled from that garden. And it was tiny. It was probably a six by six space behind my shed, if that. But we pulled all kinds of stuff out of that summer garden and into the fall. And that is how I got into gardening. A whole lot has changed since that little spot in the backyard of my suburban duplex, and I've only been that lucky in the garden probably twice since then. But my why behind gardening sticks with me. And when I start to get frustrated, I think about the reason why I started and how that reason has changed throughout the years to evolve into why I garden today. And it makes the defeats and the failures a little bit easier to swallow, and it also makes the successes that much sweeter. I hope you can think back on the reason that you began gardening when you have trials in the garden and feel like you're a failure as a gardener. I hope you don't ever feel like you're a failure in the garden. It's not a pleasant feeling. And for my part, maybe I'll start sharing more of the ugly side of our gardens out here, not just in passing in my Instagram stories, but in actual posts that people can go back and see and recognize that even those of us who have been gardening for 17 plus years and those who have way more experience than I do don't have the perfect garden. Thanks for listening today. If you liked this episode and it resonated with you even just a little bit, send me an email or shoot me a message on my Instagram. Uh, my handle is at Just Grow Something Podcast or jump in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group and leave a post there. I would love to get your feedback. I hope you get to spend a great weekend in the garden and I will talk to you again next week. You've just listened to another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. Don't forget to download the episode after you've listened, rate and review us in your podcast player if that's an option, and follow us on Instagram at Just Grow Something Podcast. All these things help gardeners like you find me and hopefully join the Just Grow Something family. Don't forget to send in those gardening questions through a voice message at the link in the show notes or via email to grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden and I will talk to you again soon. Did you know you can have a one-on-one -on -one virtual 30-minute garden consultation with me each and every month? That's right. I have space for five executive producers over on Patreon, and one of the perks at that level is for me to help you with all things gardening one-on-one -on -one every single month. Everything from garden planning to choosing the right plants, proper spacing, pruning techniques, disease and pest identification, fertilizing, harvesting, storage, and more, whatever help you need throughout the year. Plus, you get additional monthly group Q&A sessions, exclusive video content, Just Grow Something merchandise, and more. 
If you'd like to become an executive producer, head over to patreon.com slash just grow something or use the link in the show notes to find out how.